We thank God for just being in this house this morning. We don't have to be here. We could be a million other places. But God, by his spirit, gave us a mind to come to his house to worship and praise his holy name. You know, we shouldn't take it lightly. As we are wont to say back home, this might be our last time. But there is a word this morning from Paul's letter to Philemon. And before we read that, that text, I want to reiterate uh, Pastor Tony and giving a shout out to, to, to the sister, Tanya Miles and Johnny Boyd for pulling this together. And uh, I'm grateful for what we have done this Sunday. It's been a long time coming. So thank you, Pastor. Thank you, Sister Tanya. Thank you, Session, for, for this privilege. Paul's letter to Philemon. We read the letter in its entirety. Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Amphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers. Because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Accordingly, Though I am bold enough to Christ to command you, in Christ, to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake I prefer to appeal to you, I, Paul, an old man and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I prefer to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own free will. For this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it to say nothing of your owing me even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I am hoping that through your prayers I will be graciously given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you 
and so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Thus far, the reading of God's holy and righteous word. On the strength of Paul's letter to Philemon, we want to talk for a little while from this thought, if Onesimus were an American slave. If Onesimus were an American slave. As we travel towards the land of liberty, my heart would at times leap for joy. At other times, being as I was, almost constantly on my feet, I felt as though I could travel no further. But when I thought of slavery, with its democratic whips, its republican chains, its evangelical bloodhounds, and its religious slaveholders, when I thought of all the paraphernalia of American democracy and religion behind me, and the prospect of liberty before me, I was encouraged to press forward. My heart was strengthened, and I forgot that I was tired or hungry," wrote William Wells Brown in his slave narrative published in 1847. Brown attempted to escape slavery with his mother from St. Louis, but failed. Slave catchers caught them in Illinois, denoting the difficulty of an enslaved person to escape his or her bondage in America. Paul's letter to Philemon centers on the problem of slavery in the Roman Empire. Onesimus, owned by Philemon, who was a leader in the church at Colossae, had escaped his enslavement. Somehow, someway, he found Paul. He believed the gospel that Paul shared with him. But Paul sent him back. To Colossae sent him back to Philemon. Yet Paul's instructions to Philemon in this letter are critically instructive. And I want to argue that Paul's words to Philemon regarding Onesimus highly suggest that he, Philemon, would free Onesimus upon Onesimus' return thus calling into question the very basis of slavery in the Roman Empire. If we hold to this argument, it lays bare an attempted justification of race-based slavery in America. But not only that, not only that, if we hold to what I'm posturing as Paul's argument, positioning as Paul's argument, It it, it not only contradicts the the, the basis of of slavery in this country, but it also contradicts concepts such as white supremacy and all forms of racism. So getting into this letter, Paul is in prison in Rome. That's what's historically believed. But there are some scholars who argue that Paul was actually in prison in Ephesus. As we mentioned before, Philemon was a leader at the church of Colossae. So it is unclear if Paul had ministered in Colossae. Some believe that 
he had helped to plant that church, we have no direct evidence that Paul had been to Colossae. But it seems as though he was personally acquainted with Philemon, therefore the, the, the tenor of this letter. Spending a little time on this text, I just want to raise a couple of points here. If we focus on verses 4 through 7, we see Paul's commendation, Paul's commendation. He, he commends Philemon's love for all the saints and his faith in Christ. And he commends Philemon to continue in his ministry, continue to share his faith so that the church would grow in that region of the, of, of the Roman Empire. Paul, before giving Philemon some really pointed instruction, commends Philemon on the work that he's been doing and the leadership that he has given in the church at Colossae. But notice very quickly, Paul moves from that, that tone of commendation and he pleads for Onesimus. That's Paul's plea for Onesimus in verses 8 all the way through the end of this, of this text to verse 22. So with all of the good things that Paul commends, Paul presents a problem. Onesimus is a fugitive enslaved man who had run away from Philemon, had run away from a pastor, had run away from a church leader. But for us to get a better picture of this, we have to consider the, 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 the Roman Empire as a slave society, because that's what it was. Historian Martin Klein argues that slavery in the Roman Empire was the closest thing to modern slavery that we see in America, that we saw in the Americas. Because every source of labor that went to the market beyond the Roman Empire, all the production, enslaved persons produced those goods for the world. So Rome was an ancient slave society. The first century Christian assemblies, church at Colossae, church at Rome, they all existed in this slave society. And we, we, we know this because, for example, in Galatians 3, 28, 1 Corinthians 12, and, 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 and I think that's 14 that, that we just read, Paul mentions the existence of enslaved people in those churches. Paul recognized the, the social and ethnic categories in that region. All categories of people were in churches. Men, women, Greek, Gentile, Jew, enslaved, and free. Though they were enslaved persons that hailed from every corner of the Roman Empire, most of the enslaved came from outside of the empire. So they were outsiders, stripped from their kinship networks, put under the arbitrary power of another person. 
They were foreign to Roman soil. Some were prisoners of war. Some had been sailors who were abducted on the open seas. They were ripped away from their homelands, ripped away from their families, ripped away from kinship networks. An ordeal, a phenomenon that the sociologist Orlando Patterson calls social death. And the enslaved people, like Onesimus, could be employed in a variety of ways. Like Onesimus, they could have been domestic servants. They could have been soldiers or sailors, eunuchs, or they worked on farms or in factories. They could have even worked for the government. They built the roads. They built the aqueducts. And because in Roman society, we did not have racially based or ethnically based slavery, the enslaved population could blend into the general population. They could come and go and blend in. So that's our context to understand Onesimus as an enslaved man. But somehow, some way, as he escaped from his bondage to Philemon, he found his way to Paul. Now, if Paul were in Rome, it would have been a long and troubled trip for a fugitive enslaved man. Ephesus was closer. That's why, again, some scholars believe that Onesimus sought Paul out having known of his master, Philemon, and knew that Paul was, was in a, a, a short enough distance for him to reach. Now, in this section, Paul articulates a deep fatherly love for Onesimus. It's clear from this passage that Paul's bond with Onesimus and Onesimus' bond with Paul is strong. Verse 11 indicates a play on words. Because Paul has found this man to be, to be useful for him. It's a play on words. Onesimus means useful. Now, we have to raise a question. Was, was this Onesimus' slave name? Because like slavery in the Americas, in the early modern and modern period, enslaved persons in the Roman Empire were renamed and given what we would call slave names. So we don't know if Onesimus was his birth name. It could have been his slave name. But this verse, verse 11, raises important questions. Why did Paul, why did Onesimus flee? Had Philemon mistreated Onesimus? Some suggest that Onesimus had stolen from Philemon. And he fled because he feared reprisal from Philemon. Had this Christian man oppressed his bondsman? Was this the impetus for Onesimus' escape? We don't know, but we have to raise these questions. Because again, what Paul is unearthing in this letter is the problem of slavery, not simply in the Roman Empire, but the problem of slavery even in the church. But Paul found himself in a dilemma. 
Paul found him useful, even though Philemon had deemed him useless. Paul wanted to retain him and enfold him in his ministry. And here's, here's something interesting, brothers and sisters. The law found in Deuteronomy says this, Deuteronomy 23, 15. You shall not give up to his master a slave who has escaped from his master to you. So if, if Paul was to be true to the law of God, revealed to the people of God, Paul had every moral right to retain Onesimus. The law of God protected Onesimus. But Roman law, Roman law stated that any person who fled from his master had to be returned. So the law of God was for Onesimus. The law of human beings was against Onesimus. So that's Paul's dilemma. But what was Paul's resolution? He resolved that he would give Philemon the opportunity to receive Onesimus back, but on good terms. But a close reading of this text reveals another problem. Because Paul emphasizes to Philemon, I'm sending him back to you, but do not receive him as an enslaved person. Receive him as more than that. Receive him as a brother. He ran from you, and his status was slave. He has come to me, and I preach unto him the gospel of Jesus Christ. He has believed that gospel. He is no longer merely a slave, but he is a free man in the Lord. And because of that, he is your brother, Philemon. So take him back, but view him as your brother, beloved in Jesus Christ. And not only that, Paul says, receive him as you would receive me, an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you treat apostles a certain way, with dignity and honor and respect, knowing that I did see the Lord Jesus, I've been directly commissioned by the Lord Jesus. I go around the world and plant these churches, and now I'm in prison because of that witness. Receive Onesimus as you would receive me. And not only that, Paul said if, 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 if he has wronged you in, certain, in, in any way or, or, or owe you anything, I, I, I will repay so what, what is Paul doing here? Paul, Paul wanted to ensure that there would be a renewed relationship between Onesimus and Philemon. And this renewed relationship really speaks of a radical reorientation of the relationship. No longer master and slave. Philemon, you no longer have arbitrary power over the body of this man. You both in Christ. He is 
your brother. But legally, legally, it seems that Onesimus would remain enslaved. That's, 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 that's what it looks like legally at this point. So this raises a question. Was Paul pressing Philemon to free Onesimus? I think what's implied in this text is that if it were up to Paul, definitely he would have kept him. And that would have resulted in Onesimus' freedom. And I think he wants Philemon to do the same now that Onesimus is on his way back. Carrying, probably carrying the letter to the church at Colossae and, and carrying this personal letter to Philemon. So these, these are important questions that, that bother certain readers of this text. Esau Macaulay, in, in, in his book, Reading While Black, argues that Paul is suggesting that Philemon set Onesimus free. And that's, that's, that's where Macaulay comes down. And those of you who might remember, in, 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 in one of my previous, previous messages called Slaves in the Church that I preached here a couple of years ago, I suggested the same thing, that Paul was pressing on uh, Philemon and had in mind that he should free Onesimus. So Paul falls short of calling for general abolition in the Roman Empire. I believe the apostle more than implies that the new relationship that the enslaved in Christ have with free persons is so radical that the very idea of enslaving someone is detestable. If we say we are family in Christ. How can brother enslave brother? How can sister enslave sister if we say we're family? How can we oppress each other if we say we are family? How can we backbite and gossip if we say we're family? Can I get a witness here? So, so this is, is what's being strongly implied by the apostle here. Philemon, do what is right. Free your brother. But imagine, if you will, if Onesimus were an American slave, what if he were an American slave? First of all, he would have been African or of African descent. Ever since 1662, slavery became racialized in the British North American colonies. Enslaved Africans were enslaved for life. Not even a Christian profession of faith and membership in a church could free them. For in Virginia and elsewhere, baptism 
did not change the status of an enslaved African, even though in England, Christians did not enslave Christians. In fact, slavery in England was not even a positive law. There was no institutionalization of slavery. The colonists did away with that and held Africans enslaved for life. If Onesimus were an American slave, he would have toiled under a brutal system of slavery. David Walker, in his appeal of 1830, wrote that slavery in the United States was the worst in all of history, including the slavery experienced by the Hebrews in Egypt. He argued that at least the Hebrews maintained their personhood, but enslaved Africans and their descendants were considered non-persons. They were considered chattel, movable property, counted with cattle and pigs on inventory lists. If Onesimus were an American slave, he would have toiled in the fields, tobacco, cotton, or rice, possibly sugar. He would have had to arise at dawn, work until midday, have a meager midday meal, and then off to the fields to work until dusk. All of this under the terrible supervision of white men who were overseers who used the last liberally. Even if he were a domestic servant, he would have been under the watchful eye of master and mistress ready to pounce on him for any perceived error. Regardless, if he would have, been work, would have worked in the fields or in the big house, his life would have been marked by the violent terror that American slavery was. His life would have been short. By 1850, if he had lived an average life for an enslaved person, he would have lived 21 to 22 years. If Onesimus were an American slave, he would have lived in a society in which the church was complicit in slavery's institutionalization and perpetuation. In her 1860 slave narrative, Harriet Jacobs reflected on the hypocrisy of one Episcopalian church in a home state of North Carolina. The period is the early 1830s. In the aftermath of Nat Turner's revolution in Virginia in 1831. In neighboring North Carolina, patrols attempted to ensure the, ensla the enslaved and free black population was under control. These, these, these patrols were, were, were precursors to American policing today, to control and to monitor the movement of black bodies. One minister, Reverend Pike, implored enslaved people to obey their masters. And he, he, he lobbed invectives at his audience of enslaved persons. He told them, you are rebellious sinners. Your hearts are filled with all manner of evil. Tis the devil who tempts you. God is angry with you and will surely punish you. 
if you don't forsake your wicked ways. He then called them lazy, shiftless. He he denigrated their cultural practices. So Reverend Pike used God's word as social control, aiding the slaveocracy. So Onesimus would have found a church in this country complicit with his own enslavement. If Onesimus were an American slave, like he did in Colossae, he would have attempted to escape from his bondage. But as William Wells Brown's narrative shows, it would have been treacherous. Slave patrols. Again, those that, 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 that slavery era police force. Slave patrols, slave catchers with bloodhounds trained to hunt down black folk specifically. Ties to family, all would have made flight a highly difficult endeavor. As in the Roman Empire, America had the fugitive slave clause in the Constitution that reads, no person held to service or labor in one state under the laws thereof, escaping into another, shall in consequence of any law or regulation therein be discharged from such service or labor, but shall be delivered up in claim of the party to whom such service or labor may be due. In 1850, there was the Fugitive Slave Act that authorized U.S. Marshals to deputize any man to catch an enslaved person who was in flight. As if Onesimus were an American slave. But if Onesimus were an American slave, like he was in the first century, he could have been a Christian. God our Father elected to include enslaved persons in the church of his son Jesus. Enslaved persons in the Roman Empire. Enslaved persons in America too. Jesus came down by his spirit and gathered a people from Senegambia, Mali, and Mauritania, from Cape Verde, Guinea, and Guinea-Bissau, from Sierra Leone, Liberia, and Cote d'Ivoire, from Ghana, Togo, and Benin, from Burkina Faso, Niger, and Nigeria, from Cameroon, Gabon, and Equatorial Guinea, from the Congo, Angola, and Mozambique. Jesus was present in the barracoons on the coast of Africa. Jesus was present in the filth of the bottom of slave ships. Jesus came down to tobacco fields in Maryland and Virginia. He came down to farms in New England and New York. He came down to cotton plantations in Mississippi. Jesus came down to rice fields 
in Georgia. Jesus came down to cane fields in Louisiana. He came down to slave cabins. He came down to visit the misery of his people. Like God came down to visit the misery of the Hebrews enslaved in Egypt. I say Jesus came down. He came down to slave societies in America because he died for enslaved Africans and their children. Yeah, he died. Didn't he die? He died till the sun refused to shine. He died until the earth started to quake. He died on that cross one Friday. Stayed dead all Friday night. Stayed dead all Saturday. But early, I said early, early Sunday morning, he rose with all power in his hand. And I'm glad this morning, I'm glad that Jesus came down and he saw me in my own misery. And he decided to bring me up from the muck and the mire to plant my feet on solid ground. And I tell you, my life has never been the same again. And I thank Jesus. And I think I got a witness here who can thank Jesus that he saw you as you were in bondage to sin. And Jesus set you free. How many of y'all are happy today that Jesus set you free? Oh, I don't think y'all happy enough. He could have left us where we were. But we serve a mighty God. We serve a mighty, mighty good Savior. And as we said back home, he's a mighty good leader. He's a mighty good leader. Let Jesus lead you all the way. There may be one today who has yet to believe the good news of Jesus. If he loves the enslaved, if he stoops down to the level of the enslaved in the Roman Empire, but also in the American Empire, you are not outside of the boundaries of Christ's gracious love. The call is to believe the gospel. Repent from sin and believe the gospel. The promise is for you. The promise is for you. Let us pray. Our Lord, our God, we are thankful for this word that you have included persons on the bottom of our societies to be redeemed and placed in your church. The grace of our Lord is amazing. The grace of our Lord is unfathomable as we think about our native state. So Lord, we pray that if there's someone here that you would move by your spirit to touch those hearts, to open up their minds, open up their eyes, to see their need for you. So Lord, help us to move forward from this hour to live in the power of your grace, to live in the power of your spirit, to be witnesses to you, not only here, 
not only in that community, but to the uttermost parts of the earth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.